What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu F. And I have a little bit of a different lineup today. Um, joining me again is Vadim Fomanov. Vadim, where are you? you? I don't think you are in North Carolina at the moment. You're somewhere different, aren't you? Oh, no, I'm back in North Carolina. Oh, now. you are back in North Carolina. Oh, there you go. But how's it going? All right. How's everyone? Um, pretty good, pretty good. I'm looking forward to um, discussing international friendlies. Um, not everyone's favorite topic. I, I did a poll on this on uh, Twitter, and they, um, we hate international friendlies. One by quite a large margin. I'm personally a fan of international friendlies, and I know the guy who's going to join us live from Moscow at the Loshniki Stadium is a fan of uh, international friendlies as well because he gets to go to a lot of them. Hi, Andrew. How's it going? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Not bad, thanks, Manu. Uh, sun shining, bouncing off the Lushniki roof right into my eyes right now. Um, and uh, more negative than positive, this this roundup, uh, of this break for Russia, unfortunately. But, yeah, it's great being inside the World Cup final venue. It just sends chills down your neck thinking what it will be like in July. But... Yeah, I can't wait to to get stuck into it. I have to say, Andrew, um, getting to see your pictures and the, the the reading the articles before I put them up on footballgrad.com, um, it, it's pretty exciting. We're three months away from that tournament, and I, I got my accreditation on Saturday, and I have to say, I'm really excited for it all to kick off. I think we're going to have quite a quite an interesting summer, quite a special summer coming up and um, it's kind of starting to, you know, you get that little bit of uh, tingling in your stomach, right? that excitement. It's coming, isn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been a bit of a slow burner, the interest in the World Cup over here, um, the interest starting, but there were just the little signs that you get used to, some of the merchandise in the windows or the posters going up around the cities and, and the attendances as well. I mean, that's the more direct uh, indicator, but 
I just, I, I cannot wait. I mean, I'm, I'm gutted not to be going to any games, but just being here is exciting enough. So can't imagine what it'd be like for you, Manny. Yeah, it's uh, definitely feeling it. And it's interesting. I'm, I want to stay with you because um, you have a point, right? With the fact that the excitement is maybe not quite there yet in, in Russia. And it definitely doesn't help that, the squad that Chechesov is putting out um, is getting really riddled with injuries at the moment. It's um, It seems to be a bit of a curse on that team. Um, before this game, we had Koren go out. Um, the Jigia and Vazin are out with injuries as well. And I believe um, during the Brazil game, there was even more injuries. So this is this is not in a good light for the for the Spornaya at the moment, isn't it? No, you're absolutely right, Manu. I mean, I, I just wrote about one of the talking points from this international weekend. It'll go up on footballgrad.com soon. Um, that injuries are really hamstringing Russia at the moment. And I mean, actually, there, there still are positives to be taken from it um, because in previous years, I would say that, um, that Fabio Capello and certainly Slutsky were very conservative in their approaches. They stuck with the tried and tested or what they thought were tried and tested formations, team selections. But Chichesov is sticking fast to a three-man defence, which is, which is positive. And there are still huge positives from performances like Alexander Golovin's, I'd like to point out, against France. This is a 21-year-old who is an attacking midfielder and he was asked to play the anchoring role in midfield against Paul Pogba and N'Golo Kante. And he was he was the commanding presence for large parts of the game. So, so yeah, I mean, they, there are a lot of injuries, like you say, Manu. Um, they're in defence mostly, and that's where there's the, the biggest deficit, really, in quality for the Russian national team. But there are positives to be taken from it. So, I'm not, I'm not getting into the doom and gloom just yet. Um, I have faith in Chichesov. I like his adventurous approach, his team selection, and the way he's setting up the team. Mm. Uh, in the long term, I do think he's the right man for the job. The World Cup, I'm not expecting much from Russia. Getting out of the group will be a success. And I think they are capable of doing that. So, yeah, it's not all doom and gloom just yet. It's, let's talk about the two games, um, one by one. And I, let's, let's give me your overview over the Brazil friendly. Um, that 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 game, quite a heavy defeat for um, Russia. I guess I watched this game and I thought, you know, Brazil. Mm, I have a. I feel that isn't they're not the big side that everyone makes them out to be, and yet they had seemingly a very easy time to break down this Russia side. How did you see that? And how what was the feeling like uh, inside Lushniki? Um, during this game, after the game, uh, give me a little bit of a sense of this this friendly in particular. Well, up until up until Brazil opened the scoring, honestly, I thought Russia were were controlling the game uh, very well. And you know, again, we use the context of the injuries. Um, the setup from from Russia was to press aggressively and hard, and we did that well. Philippe Coutinho was was really the the guy I picked out to watch because. He was tasked really with the creative role. Uh, I mean, not that Brazil are lacking in creative players, but he was the, he was supposed to dictate from the middle, um, and he was relatively quiet. So, you know, Brazil can be got at. Really, is the lesson I take from that uh, uh, from the friendly at Belushniki. Um, You know, Russia Russia's midfield was a slightly more defensive one. Roman Zobnin was alongside Denis Glushikov, and they worked so incredibly hard. 
but you know the the first half was was how I thought it would pan out. It was relatively competitive, um, and I actually thought, if anything, Russia were likely to at least score or possibly get something from the game. Brazil, the problem is um, they always have that quality that you know they've got the likes of Willian, who he's been absolutely fantastic in England uh, this season. Uh, Gabriel Jesus is is a phenomenal player. Uh, they have that quality that they don't need to be at top gear for the entire game against most countries, and they can still get something from the game. Um, but they can be got at. That is definitely definitely something I would take from the game. And Russia showed Russia are not in the top bracket of teams, and they cause some problems. So, you know, against other top teams, Brazil will have to be at their best if they are to win. Um, but yeah, they are not infallible. Yeah, interesting. Let's go to the second friendly because you saw another one of the World Cup favorites in France. And, um, again, Russia, at least Russia scored in this one. Um, your prediction, by the way, was 2-2 for the Brazil game, wasn't it? And then you said, uh, you slightly less optimistic for the second game, 2-1 for France. Yeah. Um, a prediction that, that was a bit closer to this, but, um, France, um, this is a team that a lot of people think can win the World Cup. I have some reservation, reservations because of Didier Deschamps. I don't think he is the coach to get them to the World Cup final or win them a World Cup. Um, tell me about this game in particular. How did it all pan out? How, how was the atmosphere in this? And, um, yeah, do you, what, what can take, what can Russia take away from this game in particular? Well, I mean, I'll start with the atmosphere. The, um, there were new security measures put in place at the Krestovsky. It is my favourite ground to report from, but the fans were so slow getting into the ground that the atmosphere was relatively flat at the beginning. I would say it was no more than no more than about a third full for the first 20, 25 minutes. Eventually, it was about 50,000 in the ground, so you know it worked out in the end. But France, for me, I've... I've never really had a great deal of faith in them having the staying power to to really compete uh, for some time. However, I, I think they are so dangerous. I mean, Paul Pogba is a player who is very temperamental. When he's on form, he is just absolutely sensational. But at the start of the game, he was kept very, very quiet by a midfield with with not a lot of physical stature. You know, Alan Zagorev, uh, Alexander Golovin, um, these are not tall players, and Pogba is a physically imposing player, but he just couldn't get into the game for the first 25 minutes. But it was his pass through to Mbappe for the first goal. Mbappe himself was just, he's, he's a phenomenon, that, that kid. Um, he is absolutely devastating. I mean, to compare the two, two teams that played, Brazil and France, I would be more worried about France than Brazil at this point. Um, I do think France are up there with the favourites. Um, whether they will win, I don't know. I think a lot depends on their character. And you mentioned Didier Deschamps. Uh, his his history of connecting and getting respect from his players is not, uh, well, it's not consistent, shall we say. And it, it will, a lot will come down to his ability to to really tap into yeah, the street footballing, street winning attitude that the, the likes of Pogba and N'Golo Kante, who, by the way, Kante, who has a reputation for being one of the best holding midfielders in the world, he lost possession a number of times against Russia. So again, France are a side that can be got at if you play them in the right way. But the quality showed in the end. Uh, that's all I can say. Um, Martial, Dembele, 
Antoine Griezmann, who came off the bench, Giroud for a physical option. They, they are utterly terrifying um, going forward. So I would be very, very wary of France. Certainly one of the teams to look out for, in my opinion. And so what do you think Russia can take away from this? I mean, this is two hefty defeats. Uh, yes, no World Cup is ever won in March. Uh, this is this is something that we say in Germany because Germany does horribly uh, traditionally in the March friendlies. Um, you know, they always tend to lose them and then put in a good tournament performance anyways. Um, it's not quite the same for Russia, is it? Because I mean, Russia's goal... Um, originally was to win the World Cup, then it's been downgraded to the semifinals. I guess um, the official goal now is the quarterfinals. It's really um, baby steps backwards when it comes to the goals at this tournament. But what do you think this Russia team can reach uh, at the tournament? You're saying group stage should be doable. Um, yeah, sure. But taking away some of the things from these two friendlies against two of the biggest sides on the planet, what do you think the lessons are for Russia? Well, firstly, I'd say that expectations should not be too high. I mean, there will be a further whipped up. It's the home tournament. Every host nation gets behind their team. But, um, I mean, the basic point is that Russia can compete, but just against the absolute top, top quality nations, they just, they just aren't as good. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very simple way to put it, but, but it's true. In terms of ambitions, I think getting out of the group stage is a must. Um, when you're facing the lowest ranked side other than yourselves in the tournament in Saudi Arabia, Egypt, who they have a match winner in Mohamed Salah, but don't forget they only, they only got through to the finals on a 95th minute penalty against Congo. So they're not exactly a world class side themselves. Um, so really getting two wins from those two games should not be beyond Russia, even with the injury problems. And that, of course, would get them through the group stage. The problem is the knockouts. Um, they would then play most likely Spain or Portugal. Um, now, Spain just beat Argentina 6-1. That's, I believe it's Argentina's equal record defeat of all time. Uh, and Argentina, are, they're no slouches. They're not a bad side. But in November last year, Russia did take the game to Spain and should have beaten them. There were two very debatable penalties given to Spain in that game. Um, so, I mean, I'm not saying that Russia would beat Spain. I think um, they've not regressed. They just simply had more problems with injuries. So they're in a weaker state than they were in November. Um, so getting past them or then Portugal, the European champions. So I'd say the first knockout stage is where I expect Russia to get. If they could get to the quarterfinals, it would be phenomenal. That would be exceeding expectations. You mentioned the targets that have been set, Manu, and... Winning the World Cup is just ludicrous. Um, of course, finals is very ambitious. Uh, I'd say the first knockout stage would be would be a success. And I don't think most fans, they've been brutally honest over here, are expecting much more than that. Um, so that's what I see happening. And they can look forward to using the tournament for more than just the sporting results and showcase what Russia can do hosting a tournament uh, and hosting lots of nations. And I think that will be in the long term, the most valuable thing Russia will get out of the tournament. Mm, yeah, um, Arthur Petrosian wrote for The Guardian, Russia risk being the biggest disappointment of their own World Cup. Do you, do you think that's kind of spot on after these friendlies, or is it really just too early? I mean, again, this is it's March. Teams get together in in the end of May and then train together and, you know, get, get in the tournament preparation um, to set up for this tournament and things 
national teams look often very different uh, in tournaments than they do in friendlies. But do you think this this is there's a risk there that this could happen? Well, I certainly think that's a, a ludicrous statement from Petrosin, and it's not the first that he's made um, like that. They're, they're the biggest Russia, the biggest disappointment of the World Cup, because to be a disappointment, you've got to have higher expectations. And I don't believe anybody genuinely expected Russia to be better than they are. You've got to look at. I mean, yes, there are negatives. They, you know, they did crumble in the face of. You know, um, Brazil and France, neither of them hit absolute top form for the entire game or even for large periods. They just had moments of brilliance um, and they crumbled. So that's a negative. But the positives, the midfield that Russia have is is genuinely exciting. They can be around together for at least the next five, ten years. Um, Russia are very likely to get out of the group stage. Um, so they will. I, I strongly believe they will get out of the group. Um, they may even win it. Um, so to say that the biggest disappointment in the Rome World Cup is a very odd statement to make. Um, I think he's trying to make headlines for himself rather than anything else. Um, but like you say, it's March. It's, it is an early stage. Mm. Chichesov has, like, unlike some international managers, he has a clear view of the identity he wants the team to have. The teams, the players are already playing that at club level, three at the back, most of them are anyway. Um, it is getting the best out of the players available. Um, and I think that it will be an exercise in welcoming the world as much as anything else that will be the most useful thing because Russia were never going to win the World Cup. So if they're not going to win it, it can't really be a huge amount of disappointment otherwise. So no, I, I disagree that they are the biggest disappointment of their own World Cup. Um, I think they will surprise a few people, um, but they're not going to do much more than that. But I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of in that. Mm. Yeah, just uh, we'll, we'll see, and we'll get back to the, the World Cup topic in just a moment. I just want to get uh, Vadim in here real quick, because of course your your country, Vadim, Ukraine, is not at the World Cup, um, and you adopt the country USA, of course, isn't either. But that's a different topic for a different podcast. You did play two World Cup teams still uh, in Saudi Arabia and Japan, and Saudi Arabia is, of course. Russia's first opponent. You drew Saudi Arabia 1-1. Now, of course, the Ukraine is in a bit of rebuilding mode after uh, missing out on the World Cup. What did you take away from those games, Vadim? Well, since Ukraine decided to preemptively boycott the World Cup by not qualifying, uh, these these matches are definitely not as important for them. But as you said, uh, there's a rebuilding phase now. Um I don't think that Russia should have any problems with Saudi Arabia based on based on how they performed against Ukraine. Uh, that was a very disappointing draw, and after that, you know, kind of the alarm bells went off, doom and gloom. But the reaction after the the victory over Japan was basically the polar opposite. So I think there are from the second match especially there are a lot of positives to take. Shevchenko is maybe growing into the role. Uh, he has some some very qualified assistants, including Raul Riancho and. You can see he, they're trying to implement a more of a possession-based approach, you know, a, little, a bit of a shift tactically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of too early to tell if it's working. But against Japan, you know, I think that was a quite an impressive performance. The main problem right now defensively is set pieces. And it's actually interesting because this is a problem that both Dinamo and Shakhtar are having as well. So both of the goals that they gave up against Saudi Arabia and Japan were both on set pieces. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, 
of course, both those countries are at the World Cup, right? And um, Japan is in a group with Poland, Senegal, and Colombia. You did beat Japan, and then in the past, Japan was what was always considered, you know, that Asian country, that um, probably the biggest Asian country in terms of football, together with South Korea. How do you how what do you make of Japan going into this tournament based on what you saw in in this game? Uh, I don't know how seriously they took it. I mean, since they're a World Cup team, obviously they should be taking it seriously. Uh, based on that performance, the Ukraine outplayed them for the for the most part. Uh, Japan only scored one goal from a from a free kick. Didn't create all that many opportunities. Otherwise, uh, if you know if they if they can't can't put in a good performance against Ukraine, who are not in the World Cup. And granted, they're probably one of the strongest European teams that aren't in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't take away from the fact that this is a team experimenting with tactics. You know, Modelos is still trying to be, try, you know, trying to find his his ideal position for the national team. Still, the striker is a question mark. So I don't know. I don't know how much Japan were experimenting. I don't know if their if their lineup is really set. But based on this, I wouldn't really. No, Japan is often a dark horse, but I don't think that's the case for this World Cup. Mm, interesting. Um, the, other than that, um, Vadim, um, Ruslan Rotan, he played his 100 cap. Um, yeah, that's so, the only reason he was playing these two matches, I think, is to get yeah. to 100 caps. Because he's getting to that age now where you think like maybe in a rebuild, he will not be part of that. Hey, so it's get, that's kind of almost like a farewell, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm still not entirely sure why Dinamo ended up signing him for one season when they have plenty of central midfielders as it is. You know, maybe it's uh, you know bring some experience, have him try to you know, be a influence in the dressing room, and you know to to kind of for the young players. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it's kind of like how when the end Timoshuk was still getting caps when he was not getting not not playing for his club at all. This risks turning into that situation, but I think now that he's reached 100 caps, we won't see him for the national team anymore. Yeah, and I mean, it's a deserved end, I think, when you reach the, the century of caps. And that's, that's oh, yeah, I'm not, quite an achievement. I'm not saying right? he doesn't deserve it. He yeah. definitely deserves it. Yeah. It's just on the merits. I think there are better, mm. better central midfielders now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what's going to happen in a rebuild, right? Um, now that... They, they will be the uh, Nations League, of course, after the World Cup and then the, the qualification for the European Championships with 24 teams. I, I'm pretty sure Ukraine will be part of that. But before we get to that, boys, um, the, that those were the last friendlies before, for, for many nations, uh, the last friendlies before the announcements of the World Cup squads. Um, I believe some countries have maybe one before they announced the World Cup squads. Uh, a lot of the European countries don't. Germany, for example, this was the last one before the announcements of the World Cup squads. Um, Andrew, I want to go back to you. And this is just based on what you have seen in the, in the last two friendlies, because it's so hard to really say this is the World Cup champion. But what you've seen on the friendlies, who is your favorite to win this World Cup? Well, I mean, it's it's very, very hard to look past Germany. Obviously, that's fairly fairly easy one to say. But I am actually going to stick my neck out and say I think France could be very, very dangerous. Um, I mean, you know, I... I don't think they hit completely top gear uh, against Russia and Griezmann wasn't starting the game either. So, I mean, they just have so many options for up front. If they play to, as well as they should do, um, the their midfield and attacking three is just is so devastating. 
for that alone, the the moments of magic they can create, I, I think really could be could be key. They've got they've got momentum. They've got the. I mean, yeah, they've got confidence in their key players. Um, I mean, Mbappe is still was he is he still nineteen? I think it is. Yeah. Um, at twenty at the most, and this is a guy leading the line in a in a huge stadium under pressure, but just took to it like a duck to water. It was. This is a guy who's who's going to be a game changer. So I'm going to sit my neck out and say France um, as my sort of slight dark horse, not exactly dark horses, but nearest competitors to Germany. That's how I'm going to word it. Interesting. Um, Vadim, how about you? I am going to say that Spain is my favorite. Mm. Uh, this is this isn't based so uh, well, kind of based on the friendly against Argentina, which is I think Andrew mentioned was one of the record defeat for Argentina of all time. But just generally following them throughout the qualifiers, uh, I think, you know, they had a disastrous World Cup last time, and that was the end of an era when they won two Euros in the World Cup. And then I think the Spain team has now successfully reinvented itself in a different image. I think it's not, you know, it's not kind of the legacy of, of Pep's Barca and Tiki Taka, but more, you know, more of a, let's say more of a Real Madrid approach. And I've just been very impressed by them recently. But I'm also going to say Portugal is a dark horse. They are the European champions, and I think people will underestimate them again. I'm actually interesting that you say Spain, because I saw Spain against Germany, and that was possibly the best international friendly I saw of the bunch. Um, the Germany-Brazil game, uh, for me, was a big disappointment, mostly because Joachim Löw did what Joachim Löw often does during friendlies, and he heavily rotated that squad. And um, Germany did not look um, like the Germany that I think we're going to see in March. But the, the Germany-Spain friendly, I think... Um, I'm 100% sure I saw the world champion in that game. I, I just can't tell you which one of the two teams it's going to be. But yeah, Spain, I, I was very impressed by Spain as well. I think that is a side that has has massively reinvented itself. And not a lot of people are talking about Spain, which I find odd. But I think for me, Spain and, and Germany, they're, it's Germany's to lose as the title defender. It's so hard to defend a title. But I think that Spain are the side that, that could probably be that team that can reach that World Cup form. You know, the Germans are so good to in June, July to hit that World Cup form and be so on top of your of their game. Um, I can only really see Spain kind of copying that. I was Brazil. Yes, Brazil did beat Germany in that second friendly, but they had 30, 33% possession at times. And really only that chance by Gabriel Jesus against a very weakened uh, Germany team. And I saw so many defensive arrows in that Brazil side. I just don't think that they would be strong enough to really go up against a team in top form uh, against one of the top nations, Germany, France, um, Spain, all those countries. I think all the European countries I had. And um, yeah, that Argentina result, um, boys, I think um, Messi, did you guys see the pictures of Messi, uh, Vadim? Did you see them? I think he feels like secretly he hopes he's Spanish, eh? Okay, which pick? Do you mean him leaving after the six goals? Yeah. Someone, I, I can't remember which players said it but somebody from the argentina 86 squad said that this current argentina relies on messi 10 times more than we relied on maradona mm. yeah messi can't defend um andrew anything that you want to add on these international friendlies any thoughts and uh, is england going to win the world cup well obviously they are i mean we're all talking hypothetically about germany having a chance and of course they don't but no i mean in, in all seriousness um i actually as an england fan i am actually feeling more positive than I usually am because the hype is slightly more realistic and 
you know, the England do have some very talented attacking young players. It's just getting them, getting to, getting the defensive base in midfield sorted out because at the moment it's not entirely certain who will be playing there. And I have a, I have a sinking feeling that that Jordan Henderson may even actually play in the World Cup. I mean, he's he's a he's a woefully inadequate player to be anchoring the midfield. But England, I think, will do. Okay, they should get out of their group without too much trouble, but um, I'm not expecting them to get much further. Course finals would be a very positive result for England. Um, more than that, added bonus as far as I'm concerned. Mm. So it's, it's not coming home then? <laughs> not for some time, Vadim, I don't think. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure FIFA's home is in Switzerland. Anyways... Um... Andrew, I want to go to you for the next topic, which, you know, Russian Football Premier League is back. And I understand that you have to maybe leave us in a few minutes. So we'll want to get this out of the way. Um, you know, get this out of the way and, and chat about this because this is a rather big topic. Um, one of the games that we're going to have in this weekend is Amka Perm against Locomotive. Now, this game was supposed to take place in Perm. Um, but the, the stadium isn't ready there. Um, and their replacement stadium is in Ufa, right? Which is being used for FC Ufa's home game. Now, um, as a result, the Russian Football Premier League allows you to sell your home game. And what they did is they, they, Amka Perm sold their home game to Locomotive. So this game, Locomotive against Amka Perm or Amka Perm against Locomotive, uh, Amka Perm is actually the home team. Is actually taking back place at the RJD Arena in Moscow. Uh, any thoughts on this? Because this is this is, seems to be rather odd, isn't it? And we have an article up on this on footballgrad.com, by the way. But yeah, really odd situation, and not doesn't really make it look great in terms of you know integrity, etc. Um, because this is going to give Locomotive a massive advantage. Well. I've got mixed feelings about it, to be honest. I mean, it, it doesn't look great. You're right. And I'm sure a lot of Loco... Well, I mean, the, the title is so... It's so firmly in Loco's grasp but at this stage of the season that realistically, you know, Spartak, Zini, Krasnodar, Tiska, they can, they can complain about it, but they know deep down that they've they've lost the title for, for not performing well. But had this taken place early in the season, I think they would have had grounds for, for complaining because Amkar are one of the weakest sides in the in the Premier League. They they won't be a loss to the Premier League. I know, I'm going to say when, not if they get relegated. Um, and we saw this with Tom Tomsk as well last season. So um, as far as I'm concerned, that side of it does not look great. However, what I would say is there are some logistical benefits to actually staging it um, at the Erdogan Arena simply because we know it's available. Um, we know that they are capable of staging games in freezing conditions, unlike Amcar, which I think really the main issue for me is the fact that Amcar are not able to prepare their pitch properly. They have an all-weather pitch that is not able to play in all-weather. And, you know, you can complain about the, the cold all you like. There are ways of looking after the surface so that it does, um, it is playable. Uh, Chumen, my hometown team, they have a budget far lower than Amcar's and uh, not a million miles away from Pierre. And they managed to stage all their games. So I think Amcar have got a lot to answer for in preparation of their pitch. But I, I, I've got mixed feelings. There are positives and negatives to it. Um, in the end, the result itself was never likely to change. Um, I mean, Amcar are quite tough at home. 
But I think in the end, it was actually a sensible solution simply because the game needs to be staged. There are long term issues about, you know, the calendar, um, you know, games. What I would even suggest as a, I'll throw it out there, is staging games in the southern cities in February and March, like they used to be in the Soviet Union. Um, I think something along those lines to avoid these sort of things happening. But in the end, Local will win. Um, they, they would have won the title anyway, even if they dropped points in this game, I think. But um, I think the, the stage for season is probably helpful in the sense that it will make it slightly less controversial than it is already. But we'll see what happens. I'm sure, um, I'm sure Spartak will complain a little bit about it, but it'll be in vain as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I understand Zenit did something very similar three seasons ago, right, when they won it in 2015. They they bought Ufa's home game and uh, moved it to the Petrovsky in order for them to celebrate the title at home. So they got the draw, and there was a lot of speculations that that 1-1 draw, uh, because it helped Ufa, right, um, to, to get that 1-1 draw and then win the title at home. And Ufa then won the, their last match against Spartak in Moscow, um, which I, I was at that game and I thought it was rather uh, odd looking game because, you know, that was the three points that Ufa needed. Uh, any final uh, thoughts on this, Andrew? I mean, this is, it is, you know, it does happen quite a bit in the RFPL, to be honest here. Um, I think your idea of staging games, maybe in the South neutral venues is, is a good one. Sochi is an empty stadium anyways. But yeah, this, I mean, overall, when you, when you present this to the, to the foreign public, this doesn't look great, does it? Well, no, it doesn't. You're right. Um, and I think, yes, you actually mentioned in your article on them, on footballgrad.com, Manu, it is within the Russian league regulations, so they haven't broken rules in that sense. But perhaps the real answer ought to be avoiding this situation in the first place rather than what are the answers to deal with it, if you see what I mean, instead of putting a plaster on top of it, actually treat the wound itself. And um, in that sense, I think look, we, we know what the weather is going to be like. We know that we know when the presidential election is going to be, for example, and the staging of the games, postponing the three games that would have been on the 18th of March until April. That was also equally ridiculous. So really, it's, it's prior planning. Um, to, to avoid poor performance, that's what needs to be done. Uh, so I, I honestly think staging games in the South, so many, so many really top class stadia in the Caucasus region. Uh, Krasadar's not staging the World Cup is one, another one. Sochi's, like you mentioned, it wouldn't be difficult to do. So it, it doesn't look great. Um, but the, the answers really need to be dealt with before the season starts. The planning, the organization needs to be better. Um, it, it can be done easily and without too much expense, but whether the Russian Premier League will actually do that, uh, I have my doubts. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And we'll, we'll talk about this match uh, next week. Andrew, I, I want to say, say goodbye to you now because I understand you have to run. Um, where can people find you online and what have you been up to other than, of course, covering friendlies for footballgrad.com? Well, yeah, no, I'm on, on Twitter at Andrew M-I-J Flint and I will be, I'll be doing European previews for Tesco against Arsenal. Looking forward to that one very much. So, so that will be my main focus for the time being. And then, of course, further ahead, covering the World Cup on social media. Uh, looking forward to that. Well, everyone, that was Andrew Flint, uh, our man in Moscow. 
Um, some great stuff that he's been reporting on on footballgrad.com. So go, go check that out. Andrew, thank you for coming on and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Thanks very much, guys. Bye bye. Take care, Andrew. Yeah, that was Andrew Flint, everyone. Vadim, that just leaves the two of us, but we have, we have some interesting things to talk about as well. The, the Ukrainian Premier League and, um, a, a story that I find really fascinating, actually. And I, I looked at this yesterday long and hard and, um, thinking we, sh we should probably, once we know a little bit more, put out an article on this. Um, you know, Schachter Donetsk potentially signing another Brazilian. Now that doesn't usually make the news, but this Brazilian happened to be Junior Morales who plays for Dynamo Kiev at the moment. And this has caused quite a steer, hasn't it? It has. And yes, you said Shakhtar signing Brazilians is nothing new, but Shakhtar signing Brazilians have played for Dynamo Kiev or anybody directly from Dynamo Kiev. Now that is something that makes the news. So this news broke a few weeks ago and from three separate sources all at the same time. So it doesn't seem like this is just one tabloid website you know, trying to get clicks. So there's probably something to this. Uh, at first, it was reported that he, his contract is expiring in the summer, and he's most likely not going to re-sign for Dynamo. So there were reports that he already has actually signed a pre-contract with Shakhtar. Also, he was seen in a hotel in Kiev with uh, Sergei Palkin, who's the general director of Shakhtar. So that you know, only only fueled the rumors even more. He's denied it. The club has denied it. Surkis said that no, there hasn't been anything. We actually probably won't know what's going on for a few months, but, well, until the end of the season. But for the last Ukrainian Premier League match against Voskla, he was left out of the squad. So immediately speculation is that he's been frozen out and won't play. Uh, Hatskevich said that was just because of an injury and he's back to training, but it's still up in the air what's going to happen. It's such an interesting topic because I, I'm, I read, read into this yesterday and I thought, um, you mean he's, he's, he's 30 years old and he was uh, on loan to China the second half of last season, right? And yet they're, they're making such an, an enormous deal out of this. Um, one of the, one of the articles I read on Tribuna, uh, was that maybe Schachter is doing this to unsettle Dynamo in the title race. Now, um, what, what, I, what title race? Yeah, exactly. I, I thought that was a bit far fetched as well. I can't see a team doing this. I mean, Schachter must be seeing something in the sky if this is true. Now, Morales has, has said a decision will be made in May, June, right? I mean, this is a diplomatic way of saying I'm going to leave. Um, he will leave with him leaving is almost a hundred percent. It's yeah. a matter of where is he leaving. And I think honestly for him leaving to Shakhtar, you know, he's, he's been a, I think people have actually under underestimated how important he's been to Dynamo. In the post-independence era, uh, he is sixth in goals in for uh, goals to uh, goals to games ratio for of all Dynamo strikers. Uh, at least of those have have had more than 50 appearances. So he's been a very very reliable player for these past three seasons, except for the time that he was out loan in China. I, I think for him the move makes perfect sense because one. Before Dynamo, he was at Metalur Donetsk, back when the club existed, and they played in Donetsk. And reportedly, he knows all of the Brazilians on Shakhtar and is friends with them. Uh, Shakhtar currently based, the club don't play in Kiev, but are based in Kiev, so he doesn't even really have to move. He won't have to adjust to a new league, and he'll probably be getting paid more than he is at Dynamo. You know, this isn't like a Luis Figo from Barcelona to Real Madrid situation. He's not a Dynamo legend, he doesn't owe the club his allegiance. So I think from his point of view, this is a move that makes perfect sense. And for Shakhtar, they're getting a Brazilian who's a proven quantity in the Ukrainian Premier League. 
that's actually going to be my next question. Do you think that, you know, because I, I suspect that Shakhtar Donetsk are going to lose quite a lot of players in the summer. And we know Bernard is leaving, right? There's question marks about, um, Tyson. Question, as well. Very question marks about Ferreira as well. That's right. Um, so, you know, there, there is a sense, uh, Palkin spoke to, I can't remember the name of the Italian paper. He gave a lengthy interview to an Italian paper saying that they are going to retool. Um, they have already signed a couple of players uh, during the winter. And I, I can sense that they're going to probably re- do a massive rebuild. Schachter haven't signed a lot of players lately. And I, I, I sense that will change in the summer. But do you think that Morales is what Schachter needs? Um, in, because when I, when I look at his age, yes, he's 30. Yes, you said he's, he's uh, a proven player in the Ukrainian Premier League. But usually Schachter sign players who they can, can sell on for profit later on. And this, I don't see that here. No, I, I can't see him being sold on for profit for a top European club. And I don't really think, you know, his Champions League quality for Shakhtar, who, who look to play past the group stages, but he's a, he's a proven quantity. I think this, this would be a low risk signing for somebody that can score goals in the Ukrainian Premier League. But mm-hmm. as you said, 30 years old, you know, he's not, he's not, he's never going to be world class. So what are Shakhtar's ambitions going forward? If it's just to keep winning the Ukrainian Premier League, yeah, it's fine. If it's to go farther in Europe, then I don't think he can be the you know the striker that they rely on. Mm, yeah, I, I I would go along with that. I think we'll see uh, Schachter being very busy. Um, but you know the the Schachter Donetsk situation with uh, players leaving is one thing. Uh, Dinamo have very much the same issue, don't they? I mean, Kacharedi, um he uh, apparently we, we can talk about him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about Kacharedi. This, I remember back when I was in, in, in living in Kiev and uh, one of the reporters asked me and, um, we watched, um, we were watching Ukrainian, the uh, Ukrainian national team take on Cameroon. And I was asked, well, who are the players that you think could play abroad? And I said, well, Yamolenko, of course. And I also said, even Kacharedi. Now Kacharedi is still in Ukraine. And I, I get the sense that he's never really fulfilled his full potential. Now, there is some issues now at Dinamo, isn't there, um, with him and um, contract situation and apparently he refused to come on as a substitute against Lazio. Um, what do you think is going on there, Vadim? Well, so, so just about what happened against Lazio, reportedly, on one side, uh, he Hanskevich asked him to warm up and to go on as a sub to replace Kadar, who was injured. Apparently, he refused to come on because Kadar plays left center back and Hachiridi is only comfortable playing right center back. That's the way that Hatskevich said. Hachiridi completely denied it, said, I don't know why, why Hatskevich would say those words. You know, I, I, am re- I, I will go on as a goalkeeper if I need to. So we have two sides to the story. Who is telling the truth? I don't see what motivation Hatskevich has to lie about this. And as for Hachiridi, he has had problems with every single manager. Shevchenko for the national team, Rebrov, Siomen, Blachin, I think every manager that he's played under, he has had some kind of falling out with. And Shavkovsky, Dinamo's legendary goalkeeper, recently retired, came out and said, you know, if you have a problem with every single manager, then the problem is probably with you and not with the manager. Yeah, he's a hothead. You know, also that red card against France at the, uh, was it 2014 World Cup qualifiers, right? That essentially cost Ukraine a spot in the World Cup. Um and him and him and Harmash are the two hotheads. Yeah. And Hachiridi just sometimes just you know 
not even so much anger, but just apathy and decision. You know, he decides when when he wants to play. So I just his contract is also running out in the summer. Mm. He's definitely the best center back that Dinamo have and have had in quite a while in ter- in terms of pure talent. But is he somebody that they can actually rely on? You know, is it better to cut your losses? I think they should have just sold him a few years ago yeah. when when they could have gotten decent money for him for maybe you know a mid tier European club, but. Dinamo Kiev are legendary at letting contract runs out and not getting any money for their players. Dinamo are very bad at selling players. You know, this is something that we've talked about. I think it was a year ago we talked about it on this podcast, actually, how bad they are at selling players. You know, the Yamolenko saga lasted forever and ever and ever until they finally sold him because of financial reasons. Now with Kacharidi, they're probably going to lose him on a free transfer. And, and this is a guy who I thought two or three years ago could have helped a good European side anywhere and they would have probably gotten good money. I remember Everton was very interested in bringing him in. And I mean, as an athlete, he brings everything to the table. Um, he's maybe a bit of a hothead. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's certainly true. Where do you see him going? And I mean, this is wild speculations. You can be just basically guess, <laughs> but where do you think he could be going and where do you think he should be going? Well, I think it's, so we know that this summer Moraes and Bocani are leaving. Their contract run, their contracts run out, so they won't be with the club anymore. Uh, Rotan and Husev, who are the two pensioners, also their contracts are running out, so they're gone. Uh, with Hachiridi, I think, you know, we still don't know. I think for him, he's never seemed the type of player comfortable going to Western European League. He's always kind of been, you know, don't know if he can adapt. He's not, probably not the most, not the most adaptable player, so it wouldn't surprise me if he actually ends up staying at Dinamo. And then next season, whoever's the manager will probably repeat the same saga and he'll have problems with them. If he were to go somewhere, it wouldn't surprise me if it would be Turkey, which was where a lot of a lot of Ukrainian players have been going recently. Uh, you know, Russia is always kind of an option for Ukrainian players, although not so much recently. And I can't really see him signing for any other Ukrainian club because... Shakhtar don't need him and no other Ukrainian club would be able to afford his wages and for him it would be a massive step down. So it's very much a question mark. I think it'll be very interesting to see if he stays and if he goes, where does he go? He also has a Greek background, right? Uh, he is, yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah, I didn't mention that. He is a uh, ethnically, you know, he's he's one of the, the, the Greek minority in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he, I don't think he actually speaks Greek, but he still has that connection. And when Ukraine played Greece in a World Cup playoff a few years back, there were actually some talk about, you know, well, we have a Greek central defender. I think it was ridiculous tabloid talk, but it was there. Yeah, I would just mention this because Chiginsky, of course, plays for Aik, right, in, in Athens. Yeah. So I, I think that maybe is something just to throw into the rumor bucket, more, more or less. I think that that's an option no, that's as a, well. That's a very good point. Yeah, I think Greece, Greece would also be an option. Yeah, interesting times. So, general situation. Uh, what comes next for Dinamo? That's that's really good good question. Um, you have your doubts about whether Alexander Katsugevich is is going to return uh, return next summer, right, or continue next summer? I guess is the is the better term. Um, do you think he has a future at that club as a manager? I don't. I don't think so. I think he's he's failed in his objective. He was never brought in as a tactical mastermind or anything like that. But, you know, Surkis, he has this obsession with bringing in managers who have Dinamovskaya Sierza, mm. you know, the Dinamo heart. 
and he, you know, he's played under Lebanovsky. He's a great midfielder for the club in the in the '90s and early 2000s. So he has that. I guess he has that. Um, like he has that background that Surkis is always looking for. But he was brought in, I think, to kind of inspire the collective after Rebrov to bring, you know, unity in the squad. Obviously, they're a step below Shakhtar when it comes to class, but kind of just to be just to be an inspirational figure. Uh, and we see now that, you know, Khachiridi is refusing to come on as a sub. Um, Bokani is also playing only when he wants. Apparently, nobody at the club really likes each other. They don't they don't spend any time together outside of training sessions. So I think in terms of that role that he had, he really hasn't been able to unite the squad under him. And if he's not able to do that, and if he's not a brilliant tactician, I don't really see a future for him at, at Dinamo after this season. Yeah, interesting times for Dinamo. Now, um, the, the immediate future is, of course, and uh, we've talked about this um, on oh, our but podcast. Before, before, sorry, before we get to that, I just wanted to throw out a potential name as a replacement, ah. and that's and that's Verdi Dub from from Zoria. If they want to, if Surkis will take a risk on someone who doesn't have a Dinamo heart, I think Verdi Dub has proven himself as a as a as a manager in Ukraine in the past few seasons. He's been he's a manager of Zoria who, like Shakhtar, have been playing in exile for for almost four years now, and they have gone through the best period in their history. Now with Dnipro and Metalist out of the picture, they've really established themselves as the third, you know, the third team in Ukraine. They've had some limited success in Europe. Even we saw this season, they they beat uh, Athletic Bilbao and and Hertha Berlin, which are very impressive results. He has a proven record of uh, developing young talent. For a while, it was especially Shakhtar players out on loan, and he seems to really want the job. Like the the press conferences he gives, he's always always praising Dinamo, always saying what a what a great club it is. I think he's aiming for it, and. I think he should be given a chance at a top club. I honestly thought that Shakhtar might take a chance on him, but obviously they they went with a uh, went with another foreign manager. Mm-hmm. I would like to see it, but I could also see this turning into like a a, a Moyes at United type situation. You know, very good for a for a club that's kind of right below the top tier, but can't really handle the pressure of a top tier club. But I'd like to see that for next season. Yeah, it's got, of course you mentioned that, but we don't know what Paulo Fonseca is going to do, right? Because um, Paulo Fonseca might also leave in the summer, and then there there might be two top jobs um, available in Ukrainian football. So, so d- the Shakhtar- on that on that on that point, uh, for a while, Zoria was kind of like Shakhtar's yeah. feeder club. They were basically reliant on Shakhtar to get all for all their loaned out players. But then there was this really scandalous match between Zoria and Shakhtar in the first half of the season. The two clubs have kind of had a falling out. Uh, I think Verny Dub. You know, for a while, it seemed like Verdi Dub was aiming at the Shakhtar job, and once he didn't get it, he kind of became bitter. They no longer rely on Shakhtar players, and he's tried to build his own project. So I think now, if he were to go to a different Ukrainian club, Dinamo would be far more likely than Shakhtar. Interesting. I guess Shakhtar would always go for that foreign manager anyways, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Just for just for prestige. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's the way they see them. They see themselves as this all-Ukrainian team that's managed by uh, usually a big foreigner. And then has all these Brazilians in the squad. So it's like more of a cosmopolitan project, I guess, um, is, is the best term for it. Yeah. The reason I say this because Paulo Fonseca is, of course, um, in the running for a job in back in Portugal, but he's also, um, often named as one of the potential candidates to succeed your pine at Bayern München. Um, so 
you know, um, there might be some big job offers coming in. Uh, so we don't know what Paulo Fonseca's future is. But uh, Vadim, bef before we start too much speculations, um, w one thing that's coming up relatively soon this weekend, actually on Sunday, is Dinamo Kiev heading back to Mariupol. Now, this was a well, big not, topic. Not heading back, heading for the first time. Yeah, well, yeah, going there for the first time. I was supposed to head back, I guess. Um, this is... Uh, do we know if this match is going to take place? Is that is Dinamo actually going to go and play there? Or are they going to make a meal out of it this again? Well, it seems like it. And I'm honestly surprised that there hasn't been more, more talk about this. It's oddly quiet. Mm. No, Surkis went on that right after the, the Court of Arbitrations for Sport decision came out and Dinamo lost. Surkis went on this rant saying, we will demand, uh, we will make these same demands again. You know, he basically declared war on the Federation, said this was unacceptable. Once again, basically, I thought that this was going to happen again, that we would get to the point where, you know, it's a lot, does Dinamo go? Do they not go? If they refuse to go again, according to the rules, you do it twice in Premier League. Now, is are they really going to kick the second team, you know, one of the two main teams in Ukraine out of the Premier League? No, that would make no sense financially. But those are technically the rules. So we were heading for basically a, the equivalent of a constitutional crisis in Ukrainian football. Mm. I think both sides decided that that wasn't in their interest. And now we see Surkis still, you know, he still said like, yeah, we need security, but... He hasn't pushed it to the same extent as he did in the first half of the season. Yeah, so interesting times. So we'll, we'll assume this game will take place. Um, it is on April Fool's Day, so <laughs> maybe that's to look at. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it is on April Fool's Day. It is um, this Sunday. And uh, yeah, interesting, interesting storyline. It's something that we discussed quite in depth. And I, I believe you st you're still planning a story on this, right, uh, Vadim? Yes, that's that's the next thing I'm working on. Uh, I thought it would be more interesting than it's turning out to be because oh, it's, it's been oddly quiet. But I'm kind of worried that this is the calm before the, yeah. before the storm. And as soon as we as soon as we're done recording this, Surkis is going to say that like Putin is planning a you know a nerve nerve agent attack on Dinamo in the Mariupol dressing room or something ridiculous. I was just going to say the moment he said uh, it's awfully quiet. I'm like, oh, let's wait. <laughs> it is only time of recording is Wednesday, so we still have a few days uh, until this match. But yeah, this is this is definitely an interesting storyline that we'll have to keep an eye on. Um, the season, of course, now in the in second half, Shakhtar Donetsk eight points ahead of Dynamo Kiev. Very much look lock for that title, especially now that they're out of the Champions League. Um, Soria and uh, Voskla are tied on points, third and fourth. And Mariupol, yes, they are in the running. They are in fifth place. They they could reach that uh, Europa League spot. And um, Varys is rounding up the the top half. Um, yeah, Vadim, that's pretty much it. We we got through one, all. One last one last point I wanted to make just about you say Mariupol is in a European spot potentially. Uh, so UEFA has different standards in the Ukrainian Premier League and UEFA will not let the match go ahead in Mariupol. I think not just because it's so close to the conflict zone, but because the stadium doesn't isn't up to the standards. And that's something that Surkis actually brought up early in the season where he said, well, if they, you know, UEFA, they can't play UEFA competitions here. Why should we have to go here when the rules are completely different? So that's also something to look to look at in the future, possibly, if they do qualify for Europe. Yeah, no, no, of course I will set a president. But, I mean, that that's... Uh, I 
think I think he will be in trouble trying to use that as a president because UEFA rules are very different than um, domestic rules. And UEFA quite clearly states that, you know, when if a UEFA stadium, if a stadium is not uh, passes the UEFA test, it can still be used for domestic football. So I think that I'm sure Circus will try Vadim. Um, it's not beyond Based him. on his, based on what he said, I think that Dynamo Kiev need to hire better lawyers because I don't think they understand how the Court of Arbitration for Sport actually works. Or they don't want to understand. Um, maybe they do understand quite well, but they don't want to understand. Yeah, uh, interesting times. And Mariupol isn't running for Europa League spot. We might very well see them in Europe. Well, I guess those games will tend. That's, that's a good question. Where are they going to play those games, right? Because we had the issue of Soria wanting to play at the Olympiski in, in Kiev and Dinamo saying no, right? Um, this could be very much a similar scenario where they will then have to hunt uh, throughout Ukraine for a home stadium, right? Uh, yeah, and there's not there's not exactly a lot to choose from. No. Yeah, that's what we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Vadim, uh, we're, we're pretty much out of time um, on this podcast. Um, some very interesting topics, but before we leave, uh, where can people find you? Where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, and what have you been up to? Uh, Twitter, you can follow me at vfervanov. Haven't been up to much other than football grad. And as uh, Manu mentioned a few minutes ago, I will have something out on on Mariupol, kind of a preview for this match by the weekend. So if you're still interested in following the story, that'll be up. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And yeah, guys, um, all these, all our podcasts um, and everything that we do, including all of our team's work, um, you can find that, of course, on footballgrad.com footballsidage.com and footballstadt.com and all of that is collectively shared um, on our social media um, at footballgrad live is our twitter handle um, we are also on facebook footballgrad um, yes and this podcast and all the other podcasts are found on acast and on itunes uh, give us a follow there um, give us reviews reviews are very helpful in helping us grow and um, sort of give us an understanding of what you guys like to listen to. So give us some feedback. And if you have any questions, we love the questions. Uh, keep coming to questions. Um, contact at footballgraph.com is our email address. Um, I've been your host, Manu Vef. You can find me on Twitter at Manuel Vef. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, until next week, dos vidanya. <laughs>watching live tv but are tired of your huge cable bill sling tv has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports news reality tv and more ditch cable and get slings total live streaming solution with free local channels setup and installation are included make the smart choice and switch to sling tv get the best of cable for the best price learn more at sling.com slash cut cable that's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.